it's windy where you are. Can you hear it? No. Okay. I can just see it behind you. Uh, it's a little windy, but it's so flipping hot that I don't care. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was hot earlier here, but it's cooled down quite a bit. I am very sunburned. Can you see that? My shoulders wow. are freaking on fire. Why? What were you doing? Um, Just working on cutting wood and stuff for the basement. So, Did you get your last baseboard put in? Yeah, finally. And then I am going to paint it tomorrow. And then I think we'll officially be done once that's done. Nice. Yeah, I've got to paint the doorways, one window frame, and then that one baseboard. Okay. I'm so tired of my basement. I'm so ready for it to be over. Well, is it turning out the way that you wanted it to? Um, yeah, I think now that we have those shelves in there, it's pretty much like what we envisioned, but the hard part's going to be is decorating it because Josh has like no opinion, but anything I come up with, he's like, uh, well then stop asking his opinion, (laughs) but like like, I didn't. So I bought these like canvas, like what are they called? Like almost baskets, you know, that go in shelves, but they're, oh yeah. anyway, so I bought two big ones of those to put our movies and stuff in so like they'd be on the shelf but they wouldn't be rows and rows of movies right Right. I bought these canvas baskets to put them in there but looked clean and nice so I got them out and I was just like looking at it and I was like what do you think and he's like uh I'd rather not (laughs) I was like well, but do you want the movies just out? You know, he's like, I thought we were going to go for a more minimalist look. And I was like, okay, so we spent two days building these shelves to put nothing on them. <laughs> like, right. I don't understand. But yeah, he's not a fan. So I'm like, okay, then you get to deal with this. Like, I right, have ideas. You solve this problem. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have ideas in my head, but like, they don't match what he has in his head. Like, he just wants to put his Xbox on this shelf, but there's two oh. giant effing shelves that yeah. we spent forever making. So I was like, well, we should decorate it with something then. But like, everything I come up with, he's like, uh, it looks messy. And I'm like, okay, well, there's two shelves, right? Yeah. Let him decorate one and you decorate the other. No, he wants then, them empty. Oh. So that's just, we, like what? Say, then you can take a picture and we can have our listeners vote which shelf looks best. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like so over it. I'm so over it. It's almost over and it's going to look great when it's all done. Do you have a drink today? Just water. Good for you. I, well, I was going to have something good, but, but uh, I don't have anything at my house right now. Not anything decent anyways. Yeah. Well, that was me last recording. <laughs> I just had like Mountain Dew from a two liter. But to me, it's like the like the bottom of the bottom, you know, like. Yeah, it's gross. And yet that's like what's at like every Thanksgiving or <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it's like just get cans and put them in like a cooler. You don't need to get two liters that we all like pour out of. And yeah, it, it has community the worst, soda. It has the worst like carbonation amount, I feel like. Yeah. Like, it's just not good. 
it's very flat almost instantly that's why when we were growing up we'd always have like this much left of every bottle <laughs> i'm still that way like with Same. two liters and just like the regular like what is that yeah 20 ounce bottles or whatever yeah. like i cannot get myself to finish the entire thing there's always just like maybe you know a few ounces left at the bottom yep i'm the same way same way okay you want to hear my story uh was there anything else we need to talk about oh welcome to episode 23 <laughs> yeah welcome to episode 23 um just as a heads up we're gonna start doing a lot more episodes like this not in the car because gas prices are so ridiculous and to go travel to these places is costing us a lot of money yeah so we decided to cut it back a little bit and like if if we're able to go travel to these places later we'll do pictures and videos on patreon and instagram and stuff but like just in the meantime we're just going to be recording a lot of these episodes virtually and just record in the car when we can yeah it's just like hard to and Katie and I are like an hour away from each other so we have to meet up and then we have to go somewhere so it's like it's just a lot of gas so that's why we want to just for now it was doable before like you know when gas was like normal yeah and then all of a sudden it blew up and we're like, oh, I guess, <laughs> I guess our plans are changing. It kind of, so. I felt like it doubled our trip prices almost. It did. Yeah. It did. Because our gas was what, two fifty when we first started? Yeah. About that. Maybe $3. Yeah. We're at five, over five now. I think, I think, yeah, I think it was creeping up to $3. So it was like two ninety or two seventy, something like that. And then just got insane. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, welcome to episode 23. Yeah. Uh, here's April's story. Okay, let's get into it. I was going to make this a two-parter, but I realized I think I can fit it into one story. So oh. just uh, for references, um, I used history history2go.utah.gov, YouTube channel for Saints Unscripted. Um, I even used Church of Jesus Christ org as well as wikipedia so um this is the story of the mountain meadows massacre dun 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 so in april 1857 a california bound wagon train with roughly 40 wagons 120 to 150 men women and children nearly 900 beef cattle assembled near the crooked creek uh, which is four miles south of the present day harrison arkansas most of these immigrants were families, friends, and neighbors. This group was headed west, and by August 10th, 1857, they arrived in Salt Lake City, Utah. They were known by the Utahns as the Fancher Train. It was a so Salt Lake City was a crucial pit stop for most travelers going to California. You know, they would come through the canyon and then they would go through Salt Lake City all the way down to southern utah and then over to california kind of like the i-15 route um and they would make pit stops in salt lake city cedar city and then to mountain meadows area so they stopped in salt lake city mainly to replenish their supplies and fix up their equipment um there was also a fork in the road they could either go 
north traveling to the cooler states by Washington and Oregon, or they could head south to California that way. Like, so, yeah. Um, but be, with winter approaching, because it was August. So in August, it was starting to get cooler. It was going to start getting cooler. So they're traveling. Right would be smarter in the South where it's warmer than it would be with the North. So that's how they made that decision. But it was super bad timing as they arrived in Utah. Um, Utah's Utahns were normally friendly and welcoming to settlers passing through. But during this time, they were hostile and wary of travelers. Uh, This is when the Utah war had begun. And as we learned in episode four, the Camp Floyd story that you told, the Utah war was pretty underwhelming events-wise, but the Mormon settlers were awaiting roughly 1,500 U.S. troops to invade the valley. I won't go into all of it because we've already kind of talked about that. Yeah, it's like uneventful, but like dramatic at the same time. Yeah. Like it was so, <laughs> basically both sides were overreacting (laughs) like they were just like panicking for no reason the u.s federal government sent an army to put down perceived treason in utah and then the utah mormon settlers believed the army was coming to destroy them and so in in utah the leaders meaning governor and prophet of the lds church brigham young was like him and his other leaders were like causing hysteria over the coming troops and what they were going to be doing and to, you know, prepare. And he was just kind of going nuts. So there were repercussions to the hysteria that he caused though. We'll talk about that in a second. (laughs) So just a few days before the wagon train arrived, uh, Brigham Young issued a proclamation of martial law, which forbade people from traveling through the territory without a pass, as well as other limitations. So the Utahns were discouraged from selling to emigrants, especially to feed their livestock. Um, The Mormons were told by their leadership to save their grain in case they needed to flee the valley from the troops and into the mountains. So they expected to leave their homes and head straight to the mountain ranges um, and live off what they've saved up. Kind of how you hear that Utahns are pretty well known for their, uh, what is it called? Food storage. Like they're all ready to, for emergencies, which is good. It could be because I'm kind of nervous about life, but um, it's just we still have that mindset where it's like, we're going to have to run. We're going to have to survive in some way. Like it's never ended that mindset. Like I wouldn't say it's just Mormons either. I think it's just people. Yeah. Um, Okay. They were even told to save their ammunition and make sure their firearms worked. So literally be ready to go at any time. The territorial militia, a.k.a. the Nauvoo Legion, um, was included, or sorry, which included all able-bodied men from 18 to 45, and they were all, like, up in arms and on full alert at this time. The leaders of the church, especially Brigham Young, preached with some scary fear-mongering words against the approaching army and sought the alliance of the Paiute tribe a local Native American tribe that we stole land from. (laughs) Right. It's just a common theme in this this, uh, area. Right. Our country. All of our history. (laughs) Right. Um, 
So George A. Smith, who commanded all of the Southern militia units, arrived in Parowan on August 8th um, and started prepping people for war. Smith had founded Iron and Washington counties, so he kind of moved around and made made a bunch of speeches about his plan, convinced everyone they were in this in state of war and needed to be ready. So people believe that George A. Smith, and I couldn't find anything concrete about this, but that he was with Brigham Young in Salt Lake City, right? Yeah. And then with his conversations with Brigham Young, went over to Parowan, which he was from, and started hyping people up and getting them ready. So it was like under Brigham Young's command to kind of set the tone, right? To be the messenger boy. Yeah. So as the Fancher train started south, the Mormon citizens began gossiping about the California-bound settlers. By the time the Fancher wagon train reached Cedar City, the people of the city believed they were horrible people with bad intentions. Wow, gossip. Yeah, so they even had rumors that the Fancher group deliberately poisoned a spring and poisoned an ox near central Utah in Fillmore, causing illness and death among local Indians in that area. Wow. So as the Fanter train was in Cedar City, they were again having a difficult time getting any supplies for their group. One man in their group became frustrated with the little help they were receiving. And I guess he said that he had he had the gun that killed their late prophet, Joseph Smith. Another frustrated member of the train threatened to join the approaching U.S. troops. But the captain of the emigrant train, Alexander Fancher, rebuked the threats that these men made on the spot. Um, But they were frustrated. They were hungry. They were losing cattle to disease and not getting any help from the pit stops that were supposed to be helping them. Right. 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 Them for free, but they couldn't even trade their cattle for grain. Ultimately, the Fancher train left with little to show for their pit stop. The train headed west to Mountain Meadows a well-known campsite on the old Spanish trail slash California road used by many travelers before them to and from California. And it was located in the Southwest corner of Utah, 32 miles Northwest of St. George today. How many miles Northwest? 32 miles Northwest. Oh, wow. That's pretty close. Yeah. So pretty close to St. George. Yeah. Um, Cedar City Mayor, Militia Major, and Stake President Isaac Haight was talking to the District Militia Commander, William Dane. Which, I'm sorry, but this Isaac Haight guy, he had too much power. If you think about it, he was the mayor, the mil- a militia leader, and a stake president. Mm. So civic leadership, military leadership and church leadership so like no separation at all (laughs) which causes problems as we will see here soon so he was um talking to the militia commander william dane and explained how the emigrant men threatened the saints and requested permission to send the militia after them which is like he threatened us he's got to go yeah (laughs) i don't know i think he was just being dramatic after that Um, William Dane had council meetings on the matter and ultimately decided their request to send the militia after them was denied. He said, quote, do not notice their threats. Words are but wind. They injure no one. But if they commit acts of violence against the citizens, inform me by express and such measure will be 
adopted as will ensure tranquility. So he basically is saying they're just all talk. Don't worry about it. But if something happens, let me know. So hate and his people um, basically said, no, (laughs) we're going to kind (laughs) of do what we want. And so the militia made a new plan that they would persuade the Paiute Native Americans to kill some or all of the men and steal their cattle. They planned the attack to take place on a narrow stretch of the Santa Clara River Canyon, several miles south of Mountain Meadows. Though this area fell under the jurisdiction of Fort Harmony militia major John D. Lee, which you've probably heard of him before. Um, so they pulled John Dealey into the planning of this, this attack. Okay. So Lee and hate had a long discussion and Lee told hate that he believed that the Paiutes would quote, kill all the party, men, women, and children hate agreed. And they both planned to blame the Paiute tribe for the killings. So the Paiutes were generally a peaceful tribe. They would once in a while pick off some livestock for food from passing trains, but they were pretty... <sighs> Sorry, hair got in my freaking mouth. Okay. Every once in a while, they would kind of pick off the livestock from passing trains, like one here and there, not like anything crazy. But they right. were pretty hesitant to join this plan because it's like over 100 people that they'd be killing but the cedar city leaders promised uh the paiutes supplies and were convinced these emigrants were a part of the troops that were sent there to destroy the mormons and the indian tribes in the area so all this is because of rumors well is that right no they were deliberate lies because they knew they weren't a part of the troops like Yeah. yeah like the leaders knew that they weren't a part of the troops but they thought if they told the Paiute tribe this, that they'd be like, oh, okay, then we got to take care of the problem if they're here to kill everyone here. <sighs> so, so on September 6th, Haight presented a plan to a council of local leaders, church, civic, and military. The plan was met with resistance by most of the people in the room. Haight was asked if he consulted with Brigham Young about the situation. He told them that he hadn't yet, but he'd send an express writer to Salt Lake City with a letter explaining the situation and asking for advice. The round trip for the express writer would take a total of six days. So three days there, three days back. Okay. So it was September Let me 6th. guess, he was too impatient to wait those six days. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so that was September 6th, right? He sent the express writer. Well, at dawn on September 7th, the Fancher train was under attack by what seemed to be Native Americans, but a few of them were white militiamen dressed up and disguised as Native Americans. Lee and the Paiutes had made a premature decision to attack the camp rather than wait for the planned location at Santa Clara Canyon. So So hours later. Basically, just the next morning after that meeting. Right. Yeah. Let me see where I was at. Da, da, da. Okay, so some emigrants were killed, but many fought off the attackers and quickly moved their wagons and created a circle around them. They chained them together and lowered them to the ground. They dug firing pits to defend those who had su- survived so far. So in that initial attack, seven were killed and 16 were wounded. Two other attacks followed over the next couple days, 
of the total five day siege. So the entire time that it was going to take to get a response back is how long the siege went. Yeah. Yeah. So after the initial attack, two Cedar City men, militiamen, were trying to contain the situation, fired at two emigrant men on their horses a few miles outside of the corral. So they saw stragglers out probably trying to get supplies because within this corral they made with their wagons, they didn't have fire starting. They didn't have wood. They didn't have water. They didn't have, they're running out of ammunition also. And so they had two guys out on horses getting stuff. And these Cedar city militiamen were like, Oh shit, we got to contain the situation. And they, one of the militiamen killed one of the riders, but the other went, other man escaped and made it back to the corral he told the shocking news to the rest of those in the corral that the their attackers were also white men. Yeah. Was a surprise because they thought they were just attacked, being attacked by Native Americans. Right. So now the Fancher train group, they just know too much. Yeah. They could have got away with their, their case that it was the Paiutes that attacked them, right? Because they have men dressed up as Indians, they have mm-hmm. Indians attacking. And so now they can't get away with that, yeah. with that story anymore. Like the story's botched because they know. So if any of the immigrants survived, they'd tell someone and that the Mormons were involved. And if the approaching troops found out, they were for sure going to be destroyed. They're like, well, yeah. we kind of signed the fate of our people. Right. So on September 9th, just two days after the attack started, Haight traveled to Parowan and he asked Dame again, the guy, William Dame from before, who said no with a council, right? Yeah. He asked Dame again for permission to call the militiamen to attack the immigrants. He just couldn't wait for his, like, couldn't wait for the prophet to send back his advice or his words or whatever. So he's like, yeah, just tell me I can do this so we can get on with it. So Dame held another council. The council decided the militiamen should actually go to the emigrant camp and help them continue on their way in peace. So that council again said, no, instead of attacking them, how about you help them? Like, sounds logical. Yeah, that sounds ethical. Right. But when the meeting was over, hate approached Dame and some extra or with some extra information The emigrants already found out that the white men had attacked them and most of, and he said it wasn't true at the time, but he did say to Dane, he's like, well, and most of them are already murdered. So (laughs) we're like kind of already going. And at this point, unfortunately, Dame rethought his initial decision. He gave in and whatever was said between the two of them in this meeting, no one knows. But hate left this conversation thinking that he had permission to eliminate the Fancher train. Yikes. On arriving at Cedar City, hate immediately called roughly two dozen militiamen to join the others already waiting near Emigrant Corral and Mountain Meadows. So this is a quote from the Mountain Meadows Massacre article on the Church of Jesus Christ.org. It says, quote, Those who had deplored vigilante violence against their own people in Missouri and Illinois were now about to virtually do the same pattern of violence against others, but on a deadlier scale, end quote, Yeah, which is 
so upsetting. It's like you were already persecuted. You were already attacked and you're attacking these people just because they were hungry and scared and weren't getting fed and were frustrated. And you're like, oh, we got to kill them. Like, it just makes me so mad. Like your logic does not make sense. Right. That's awful. So by Friday, September 11th, they were running low on water, ammunition, and their wounded were dying. Uh, Militiamen approached them with a white flag indicating truce. They believed that the militiamen were there to save them from the Native American siege. Well, that's not true because they knew that some of them were Mormons. So the the perceived Native American siege. Right. So they were told to leave all their possessions to the Native Americans and they'd be taken safely back to Cedar City with the militia. The Fancher trained people accepted this offer and began their way back to Cedar City. 17 children were too small to walk the distance to Cedar City, so them and some mothers and wounded were placed in the wagons. The remaining women and older children were walking behind them, and then behind behind them were the men walking alongside the militiamen. They traveled for about a mile and a half, and the groups were strung along and kind of separated from each other as they kept going. Then, at a prearranged signal, each militiaman turned and shot the emigrant next to him, while the Native Americans rushed from their hiding places to attack the women and children. Oh my gosh. The militiamen with the two front wagons murdered all the wounded. The only known survivors were the 17 small children because they were considered, quote, too young to tell tales. So as they originally planned to pin the massacre on the Paiutes, according to a man named Nephi Johnson, one of the militiamen said majority of the murders were committed by militiamen, not the Paiutes. So majority of this was performed by them so wow the bodies of the dead were hurriedly thrown into shallow ditches and ravines and covered with whatever they could find scattered over time by weather and wild animals the estimated number of victims is roughly 100 to 150 wow yeah the the 17 children though um did any of them grow up to write any journals or like yes. any any firsthand memories of that? Not not really. They were kind of so all these kids were under the age of seven, okay? Um, because that would deem them too young to remember what had happened. Maybe it was six, six or seven. Anyways, so they took them them in mormon homes they were adopted by mormons and then i'll get to it but they end up being sent back to their families in arkansas oh i didn't see anything about journals of memories that they had but they were a part of like the their descendants the people the children who survived their descendant descendants are kind of still working on getting what's it called justice for all of it wow okay so governor slash president of the lds church brigham young's express message replying to hate dated september 10th 
arrived in Cedar City just two days after the massacre started. His letter reported recent news that the U.S. troops wouldn't be arriving until after winter and said, quote, in regard to the immigration trains passing through our settlements, we must not interfere with them until they are first noted to keep notified to keep away. You must not meddle with them. The Indians we expect will do as they please, but you should try and preserve good feelings with them. There are no other trains going south that I know of. If those who are there will leave, let them go in peace. While we should be on alert, on hand, and always be ready, we should also possess ourselves in patience, preserving ourselves and property, ever remembering that God rules. So he basically said, let them go. Right. Like we have bigger problems. (laughs) Yeah. So don't worry. And they're not with the troops because the troops can't get here until freaking after winter is over. So we're good for now. Right. Right. So when hate read Young's letter, he sobbed and said too late, too late because he knew that they had already started the massacre. Right. Putting a pillow on my leg. Okay. <laughs> Did you see all that dust? Uh uh-uh. I need to wash these pillows. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the men that the militiamen Cedar City leaders kind of stuck to their story that the Paiutes massacred the, this train of families headed for California. The 17 children were adopted by local Mormon families. But 18 months after the massacre, prompted by the relatives in Arkansas who demanded an investigation, an army payroll escort passed through the area and tried to find as many remains as possible and planted stone graves for the murdered wagon. The army forces at Camp Floyd retrieved the children in 1859 and returned them to their family members in Arkansas. They learned of the massacre, thought it was the Paiutes because that's what the church leader said right right well over time they started to learn little truths right Mm -hmm. so they'd start to get pieces and pieces until they realized that the the mormons were involved right because the truth will come out Eventually. eventually always yep so um in 1859 um isaac Haight was released as cedar city stake president and the next year, he was excommunicated from the LDS church, along with his buddy, uh, John Dee Lee. In 1874, the territory grand jury indicted nine men for their role in the massacre. Most of them were eventually arrested, though only John Dee Lee was tried, convicted, and executed for the massacre. Oh, he was executed. Yeah. Um, many of the men that were involved spent the rest of their lives with the guilt and nightmares of what they had done. The families of those men who led the attack were shunned by their neighbors and they had claimed that curses had fallen upon them. So not the families, but the neighbors were like, they're cursed, you know, they're wow. Okay. Anywho's for decades, the Paiutes also suffered unjustly as they were blamed for the attack. They were called wagon burners, savages, and hostiles. Now, many people believe that Brigham Young had a hand in ordering this attack. So they kind of think that the George Smith guy that he sent from Salt Lake City to Parowan to like hype up all the people for war or whatever. Some people think that they actually sent instruction or that that Brigham Young sent this George Smith guy with instructions 
on taking out this Fancher train, but that's not proven. You know, here's the it's thing. It's possible, is, but I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me based off of my last two stories. Yeah. It, well, especially the whole plan to get the Paiutes like involved to that mm-hmm. degree and then to blame them. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't. I could see him sending like hypothetical instructions. Like if this, then this, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe he thought that maybe like he got a partial green light and wanted and then that's why he was like okay now it's time to wipe them out yeah I want I kind of wonder if like now this is just me because I have feelings (laughs) about this person but uh I kind of wonder if like that if that was true that he sent instruction with George Smith from Salt Lake City to Parowan to like get people all riled up about the war coming up if he said like yes do this and then the letter that he sent was just kind of like a cover-up also Mm. or it genuinely happened the way that scholars and historians not just mormon historians but other historians going through all of the church records and whatever the only evidence that they can find is this letter of him saying, do not meddle with these travelers. That's all the evidence we have. Honestly, I don't think we're ever going to know. No, but we're never going to know the truth of what if if he had anything to do with um, that command. Right. Right. It could have just been the local leaders thinking that they know best and. Mm-hmm taking it into their own hands. They probably assumed that Brigham Young was going to say, yeah, go for it and went ahead and did it anyways. And then realized after they were told, no, leave them alone. They're like, oh shit. Well, we were not on the same page. You know what I mean? Right. I think they were probably thought that Brigham Young was like, yeah, like, and but why else would they think that though you know no yeah i know it's hard to know we won't ever know but it's like then why like why would they be convinced i mean that's that's a lot of people to murder yeah it's a lot of people Mm -hmm. they knew they wouldn't be able to cover it up yeah they they had to have felt like they had or that he had their back that brigham young had their back yeah so there had to have been a conversation somewhere, some way where they they got that feeling. It is a lot. It is a lot of people to take out. But also, I think they were pretty confident in their plan to get the Paiutes blamed for it. Mm, like to get I them think, framed. Yeah, I think they were pretty confident that they were going to get away with that. Yeah. So it's still controversial. No one really knows if um, Brigham Young had much to do with the actual planning of the attack. But yeah, I can see how it can go one like both ways. Yeah. Um, So John D. Lee was offered a deal before his sentencing that if he implicated Brigham Young in the attack, he would be put he would not be put to death. So he's like, oh, they're kind of were like, well, so if you tell us that he was involved, we won't kill you. (laughs) Interesting. And he ultimately chose death. He was like, no, he wasn't involved. And he he was, you know. Yeah. What's the word? Uh, 
executed. Um, but in John D. Lee's autobiography that was published after his death, it says he did believe that the attack was directly commanded by Brigham Young. Hmm. He wasn't. He personally was not commanded, but he believed that the command came from Brigham Young and kind of traveled through word of mouth with the militia leaders. But with that said, Lee's lawyer had rights to his autobiography and scholars believed that the editing was done by his lawyer before it was published. So they quote, there's a little bit of Lee and a little bit of lawyer. So Hmm. if they wanted to think that Lee was innocent, then that little piece could have they can paint the picture however they wanted to right the original letter written and sent by Brigham Young on September 10th is still in church archives like the original paper with his writing and like I said that's only evidence that we really can go off of of any communication from Brigham Young about this specific group yeah it's very possible that Brigham Young knew more than he led on to soon after the massacre so he could have learned about the truth of the massacre before he said he did oh yeah so there no one knows if he was uh truthful or gave full information about when he learned of the truth Hmm. because i think that he was kind of involved in the cover-up a little bit Mm -hmm. until so many people knew he could no longer avoid it yes Well, because I'm sure that at that time, he probably didn't want, he already thought that he was under a microscope with the U.S. government, you know, so that this massacre happened, like, while this other panic is happening. Yeah. I'm sure he's like, hey, we don't need another thing for them to be coming after us for. Yes. I mean, you can argue that the hysteria that he caused over the coming troops really did not help the situation. Added to it. Made the citizens believe that everyone was a threat because they were under martial law. Right. They were told not to communicate, not to trade, not to do anything with people traveling through their areas. So these citizens of utah were already tense about anyone coming into their territory that it was like he created that hostile environment yes yes so is there guilt the there should have been guilt because he caused this environment you know whatever but yeah so apparently (laughs) uh brigham young even encouraged lee to hide and live in secluded places so that the U.S. Marshals couldn't find him. So, really? like, he was kind of, like, playing both sides. He was like, oh, no, we didn't have anything to do with this, or I didn't tell them to do this. They were doing this under their own whatever. And on the other hand, he's still trying to help these guys who did this. So it's like he's either playing both sides and just thinks he's helping his people, even if they did something bad, which we've seen. Um or, ugh. or he was involved and he was trying to cover it up because at the time, I think it was within this time frame because they were he was uh, executed in 1874, and I think a couple years before that, during trials and stuff, is when the Utah Territory. I think the president at the time, I can't Woodrow. Wilson I don't remember freaking know anything but um, (laughs) I think he had 
written some kind of bill of some kind that was saying because at the time mormons were like a target right under law they were to be eliminated but i think the president at the time had kind of reverted that and said that mormons are good to go like don't worry about them anymore (laughs) good to go (laughs) stop hunting mormons (laughs) and so i think that Brigham Young was like playing the political part as well as trying to like protect his buddies. Right. Like being the shepherd of his flock. Yeah. So he was just like kind of playing all kinds of roles, which can get messy and and you can do some pretty shady things in that. I mean, politics, I mean, (laughs) does stuff to people. Okay. I'm sorry, but like, even if it was my child and they did some kind of crime to that magnitude, I couldn't hide them. No, I would say you get to serve whatever time you deserve because you did something really shitty. Right. Like you better hope that they find you before I do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like that. That's just I just don't know how like a prophet could protect someone that has done something so horrific. I'm not going to lie. Church leaders do it all the time. They yeah. protect other leaders. Right. I mean, even now. Ugh. Right. Anyways. Okay. So the first monument for the victims of the massacre was built two years after the attack by Major Carlton and the U.S. Army. The monument. Well, that's good. I'm glad that there's a monument quickly put up at least yeah. instead yeah. of like, you know, a hundred years later. Well, and of course it was done by the U.S. Army, not by freaking the people who did it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the monument was a simple carn built over the grave site of 34 victims and a large cedar cross on top. The monument was destroyed and the structure was replaced by the U.S. Army in 1964. Some reports say the monument was destroyed in 1861 when Brigham Young brought an entourage to Mountain Meadows. Wilford Woodruff, who later became president of the church, claimed that upon Wilford Woodruff. And I said, who did I say was president of the U.S. at the time? Woodrow Wilson. That is very confusing. (laughs) That is. Is that right? Were they like presidents at the same time? I don't know. I think I was making up words, but that. I'm sorry. That confused me. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Good. So Wilford Woodruff, who later became president of the LDS Church, claimed that upon reading the inscription on the cross, which said, quote, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord, I shall repay. But Young said, quote, it should be vengeance is mine and I have taken a little. So they believe he destroyed it because it didn't say the right thing that he thought it should say. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, So in 1932, residents of the surrounding area built a memorial wall around the remnants of the monument because it was kind of old and fallen apart. So they built a little wall around it to kind of keep people from climbing on it and whatever. Right. Let's see. Starting in 1988, the Mountain Meadows Association, composed of descendants of both the Baker-Fancher party victims as well as the Mormon participants. So both groups, the descendants of those who were killed and the descendants of those who did the killing, created an association designed to kind of keep the memory alive, I guess. 
Yeah. Um, they designed a new monument in the meadows and this monument was completed in 1990 and is maintained by the Utah state division of parks and rec. Wow. In 1999, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints replaced the U.S. Army's Karn and in the and the 1932 memorial wall with a second monument, which now which the LDS Church now maintains. So apparently, they took down what was there and put their own thing up, which kind of pisses me off because they should only do that if it was something that they put up, not something that the U.S. Army puts up. Right. Whatever. Their monument's more important, so let's take others down so ours can be here. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm annoyed. So, in August of 1999, during the construction of this new monument from the LDS Church, the remains of at least 28 massacre victims were dug up by a backhoe. The forensic Uh-oh. evidence showed that the remains of the males had been shot by firearms at close range, and the remains of the women and children showed evidence of blunt force trauma. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. There, there's another monument created in 1955 that's in Harrison, Arkansas. A reconstruction of the U.S. Army's original Carn was built in Carrollton, Arkansas. And in 2007, the 150th anniversary of the massacre was remembered by a ceremony held in the meadows. Approximately 400 people including many descendants of the slain at the U.S. or at the Mountain Meadows, as well as Elder Henry B. Eyring of the LDS Church's Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, attended the ceremony. What, the prophet couldn't make it? I feel like he should have. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in 2011, the site was des- designated a National Historic Landmark after joint efforts, efforts by the descendants of those killed and the LDS Church. So it's now a national landmark historic. Wow. So all I have to say is like, I'm glad that the LDS church is like taking responsibility, acknowledging and, it. Yeah. making efforts to right the wrong of like what they did, but like, I feel like they should do more of that. Even if it's smaller scale, like, <laughs> you know, ugh. Yeah. Why are we just like, I feel like I'm just hearing about most of these. Yeah. We were not taught the, the, these things in school. No, I was taught the Donner party. I was taught about cannibalism, but why was I not taught about this? Yeah. Especially in like, we had Utah history class and I didn't know anything about this stuff. Right. But of course it's changed a little. I mean, when you're learning it in school, they change it to favor the Mormon groups. Right. So. So they don't want to make the parents angry. Yeah. But it's upsetting because this church or organization or whatever the hell they freaking is run by imperfect men who believe they have this power over a congregation that they can make decisions. Mm-hmm. And like even when it goes to the profit scale, they have millions of followers that they have power over and they're imperfect men. I'm sorry, but right. they're not Jesus themselves. Well, and that's why it goes back to our first episode of like why you should be careful about what you are saying to those yeah. millions of people on live television. Yeah. You have to be careful because they are listening, they are following. Yeah. Well, but not but it's 
it's frustrating because so many times bad men in these leadership positions that are disguised as, as faithful followers of the church or whatever, they do things in name of the Lord, but they're really doing things with their own selfish desires and complexes that mm-hmm. they, they just cross lines and boundaries. And it happens, <laughs> it happened back when they started, you know, polygamy. And then it happened again when they took wives of the soldiers they sent out to protect the saints. Then it happened again when they started marrying off children to these men. And then they had 27 wives, you know, and now it's happening where they're asking young girls about their sexual activities in a room with just a man in there. And it's happening now when church leaders and uh, scout leaders and whatever are abusing the youth of the church. It's happening. And if these, these men that are supposed to be called by God or whatever, mm-hmm. if they are called to these positions, how can you then go and say, oh, we have revelation that this guy needs to be in leadership? How, yeah. what kind of God would say, yeah, let's put this, this pedophile in leadership over young men. Right. Let's put this pedophile in leadership over a whole congregation where he has one-on-one interviews with young girls. Exactly. Like, I'm sorry, but I... Like, make it make sense, you guys. I can no longer believe, like, it's no secret that I'm no longer a part of the LDS church. Yes, I grew up that way, but I can no longer stand by this organization that puts its followers at risk and, like, says it's God's will. I can't do it. Right. Just can't. And if there are any listeners that are a part of the church and you do you, that's totally fine. But you have to respect that not everyone can stand behind that. Right. I will respect your decision to believe, but I need respect that I don't have to believe. Yeah. And that's okay. Exactly. But here we are. I mean, it's just a thing. But anyway, my story's over. Good rant. I had to get it out. Okay. (laughs) Oh, is it over now? (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry if it was confusing, but. No, it wasn't. That was really good. Okay. Good. It's just hard to believe the why. I don't understand. I I think that that goes behind all of these true crime stories, though. It's the why. It's like, why would you do that? Like, how can somebody come to the conclusion to end someone else's life? Especially a group of families. Yeah. They're starving and scared. And like they are obviously not a threat to you and what you got got going on. Like, how could you just think I'm just going to go kill them? But they were also on their way out. They were literally almost out of Utah. Like they weren't even staying and like waiting around and like ready to attack you. There were a little instances here and there where they were like, getting in fights or whatever they were leaving they were gone and they were on their way to california why go after them right why it just makes no sense i'm just like it blows my mind but i but think then that that does kind of go like it in my head it circles back to the controversy of like did they get orders though because it's such sense. a big why like that is such a big group of people that were not a threat so I, I don't know that I, I see why it's such a big controversy of like yeah. order is given or not. 
or was it just this small town group of leaders that were like riled up and like, oh, you're going to throw us, see what we threaten us. You see what we're going to do to you. You know what I mean? Like, right. Let me see. Let me show you that I can murder your, like you're in our territory. Yeah. Fella. Yeah. (laughs) Fella. So anyway, um, well, good job. Are you ready for my story? Yeah. Okay. So first I have to make a correction. Okay. Uh, episode 21. So not the last episode, but the one before that, um, I said that the first death that was recorded in rock Canyon was big elk. But after this episode aired, I was looking up a picture so that we can post it on our Instagram and I found like two other sources that were saying that he was old elk, not big elk. And big elk was actually a chief from like a different tribe over in the eastern side of the country. Mm-hmm. Somehow I got that mixed up. But his name was old elk, not big elk. Okay. So I just want to make that correction. Okay. So my story is in St. George, Utah, the only place in Utah with palm trees. Yeah, that was a weird thing about living there. Having palm trees? Yeah. Did you like it, though? I did. It made me feel like I was somewhere fancy, but it was just freaking Dixie. <laughs> like, it, was, it was stupid. Okay, so I'm going to send you a picture of the location so that we can... Okay. Hold on. You can describe to people what it looks like. I should have done this before. All right, April. Ready? Yeah. Do you want to describe this for the listeners? Oh, I feel like I've seen this before. Have you seen it before? I think so. Do you recognize it? Yeah. Do you want to describe it to our people? Um, yeah, it's like a two-story, like, oh, it has like a wraparound freaking, what is it, port on both the lower and the, yeah, I've seen this house before. Um, I never knew what it was, though. Um, but it has a lower wraparound deck and an upper wraparound deck and it's like a tan stucco and it's like, it looks like it could have been like a, like a Victorian mansion almost, but it like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Good job. No, that's exactly right. Good, good description. So we are talking about the Hardy house. Have you ever heard of the Hardy house? No, but I feel like someone probably told me about it and I just never cared. (laughs) You're like, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's nice. I don't, I don't care. (laughs) Show me where the beer is at. (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, right. (laughs) I don't know my way around here. So it's located on about 40th West and St. George Boulevard. Do you know where that is? Do you remember your locations? (laughs) No. No. St. George Boulevard is just the main street in St. George. Okay. So 42 or so. Okay. There was a couple different addresses when when you look it up. So I don't know if it's changed or what, but it's either 46 West or 42 West. Oh, well, one of the pictures that says 46 West. Yeah. So we'll go with that. The 46 West and St. George Boulevard, and it's the Hardy House. Okay. The history. This house was named after a man who built it back in 1871. So we're kind of talking the same, like, time frame as the Mountain, Mountain Meadows Massacre almost. Yeah. Uh, but the man who built it, his name was Augustus Hardy. 
and he actually went by Gus. Uh, Gus was born in 1832 in Massachusetts, and at some point in his youth, he joined the Mormon church and traveled to Utah. Uh, He was sent to St. George. He was sent to St. George by Brigham Young, and in 1877, when he was around uh, 45 years old, he became sheriff of Washington County. So Gus built the house for himself and his family. When the house was built, uh, or at least originally built, it contained only two rooms in the whole house. There was a living area and then a sleeping area. And fun fact, when the LDS temple uh, was being built in downtown Salt Lake, I guess there was a, a head mason person who would inspect each brick that was being put on the temple and any bricks that were seen as like unfit for the Lord's house, they would throw them into a pile and members could come and get these bricks and use them for personal use. Huh. And apparently this house was built from those bricks from the, from the temple. Oh, wow. Yeah. And finally, one last notable detail about the house. Um, Cause there's not really a whole lot to it. Like you said, it's just. This like is the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one notable detail is that in one of the original doors, you can see a tiny little bullet hole. Oh, so let's learn about that bullet hole and where it came from. Uh, the story behind that is that one time while Gus was sheriff, he had found and captured a highly wanted and accused murderer and booked him into the tiny little jail house that he had built behind his house. So I guess he had like a little like cell that he had in his backyard that he would just keep prisoners in until they waited trial. So that way he can oh. keep a close eye on them. And they were like right there. I'm just imagining that in the middle of St. George summer. Oh, yeah. In a shed because I doubt they had windows. <laughs> or ACs. Or AC. <laughs> I don't know how I would have survived St. George without AC. I didn't have I AC wonder- in my first apartment. It was a swamp cooler and it sucked. Oh, I remember. Yeah. I remember we used to take showers just to get cool. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not cold enough. Like just take a shower. It might help. I would literally go to the dollar store because it was the coldest store I could find. <laughs> and then their, their little fridge with sodas in there had Mountain Dew that was like almost like a slushy. Yeah. Because it was it was almost frozen. Oh, it was. The I think best. I remember you taking me there. And I also remember that walking across the blacktop concrete, you know, from our parking spot to the store, your shoes would melt. Yeah, your shoes melted to the pavement literally would melt if like, you stood in one spot for too long like your the bottom the rubber ruined yeah the rubber was liquid yeah it was nuts nuts yeah. i tell you uh so yeah so he captured this criminal put him in this little jail cell uh until he waited trial and one night an angry mob knew that this guy was being held in his little cell and then they broke into gus's house so they stole the keys, they went out to the cell, grabbed the man, and then they took him to a nearby tree and hung him in the tree. Oh my gosh. And apparently in all that commotion, a bullet went through a door. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's where that story <laughs> comes from. Um, but apparently that incident, like really, pretty much every single source that I found of that story, they all mentioned that Gus was very upset by that happening because he felt guilty that that man died under his watch 
So that that really bothered him. Even though he was an accused murderer, he was still under the sheriff's watch and that happened. So, yeah. But what can you do with like a group of an angry mob breaks into your house? Yeah. No blame, I would say, for that. Exactly. Okay. So, Gus stayed in that house in St. George. Uh, for the rest of his life. And then he died in December of 1912 at the old age of 81. Mm-hmm. And he's buried in the St. George City Cemetery. So if anybody's into like visiting graves, you can go and visit do that. that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's one you can visit on your way to Vegas. Anyway, uh, <laughs> could you imagine like if I just told Mitch, like, hey, I really want to stop real and fast. see this gravesite? Yeah. He'd be like, no, you freak. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, you don't. We're going to keep driving. <laughs> yeah, he. W- I don't think he'd do it. No, probably not. So the house over time went through different ownership and uh, both residential and commercial ownership. Right now, the house is being used as an escape room called Mystery Escape Room. Oh. They seem to have really good reviews. And I even saw, like, just on Google that they were rated as the best escape room in St. George. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So if you're into that kind of thing, well, how many check it out. rooms are in St. George? True. What if they're the although, only one? Although there's probably more, there's probably a lot considering how many for entertainment. Like, what are we going to go do for a few hours? Try to escape. Yeah. <laughs> let's go get locked in a room. Yeah. True. Yeah. Um, oh, I want to mention though about this escape room. So if anybody's interested in going, I did see that they even have one of the rooms is uh, kid friendly and it's good for ages eight to 14. The difficulty is two out of 10. So if you have kids so that are a little easy. bit older, definitely go, go check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the paranormal. So many believe that the households negative energy in it, um, mainly from the incident of when the man was taken from his cell and taken to a nearby tree. Mm-hmm. A lot of people feel like that is where the negative energy might come from is from that, that main incident. Okay. Um, many believe that even that man's spirit could be haunting the jail cell, which is still out back. Oh, the jail cell is still there. Yeah. And it's being used for commercial use. I couldn't find exactly like, what it is but it just said it's being used for commercial use so oh interesting i have no idea okay owners have said that late at night they will sometimes hear some strange noises coming from around the house uh and in in an article i read on the spectrum they said that the owner has said that previous tenants and even employees claim that there are for sure for sure at least two entities that haunt the building and april do you want to guess like the type of entities that are haunting the place? I'm going to say an old woman. Okay. And a dark feeling. Okay. So like, like a, um, unknown, um, yeah. Like an unknown entity, but that's yeah. dark. Okay. Good guess. Well, one of them is the classic woman in white. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, she's most often seen looking through the windows so she'll either be seen on the outside looking in or be seen from the inside looking out but she's always seen in the windows interesting which i wonder if that's like symbolic like how they see like the eyes or the window of the soul or whatever like i wonder if like her looking through a window is like 
like something well because i always think like if you're gonna be haunting something it's gonna be something that you did a lot right like how often did like people just look out their window uh i do it all the time (laughs) (laughs) but i mean like just like to stand there and just like you know look out your window i never do that no oh my face is like glued to the window when i have nothing to do (laughs) i just look out the window like i am the i am the woman in white (laughs) so that's how we'll know katie's haunting her house (laughs) yeah i'll be that ghost she'll be it she'll be in the window I'll probably be in my bed laying down. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. According to the article from the spectrum, the owner apparently did notice that when they first took over the ownership of the house, that he said that he had a coat hook in one of the rooms. And at the end of the day, he would always hang up a scarf on one of those hooks. But in the morning when he'd come in to open up for the day, that scarf had always been on the floor. And he said, you know, I always chalked it up to being like, maybe like the air vent would always kick on and somehow like, blow it off or something he's like i never really thought anything of it until he was approached by a group called the dixie paranormal society of utah Hmm. and this group has a website with an article about the hardy house and they said they were able to go in there and do an investigation and they said that they're going to upload their videos to youtube but unfortunately i couldn't find a single trace of anything like i could only find their website in that article but if I tried to YouTube their name, couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything on Google, oh, like dang. nothing. So I don't know if they changed their names to something else or what. Um, but I also found another article that was about the Dixie Paranormal Society of Utah. And this person wrote this article in 2017 saying that that group was going to be working on a documentary with different footage of different paranormal investigations that they've done throughout the state of Utah. But I never found anything about that either. So I don't know if they have changed their names, but it seemed like they were on to some pretty big projects and like doing investigations at places that haven't been investigated before. So if anybody else knows anything, like if anyone knows anything about that group, I would love to hear about their evidence from their investigation there. But other than that, no one's investigated it. So... There's really not a lot of evidence from the Hardy house. So I hope one day somebody can go down there, investigate and report back. Yeah, that'd be cool. Or we could. Or we could. But we're poor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so but that's awesome. And that's my story. I would love to go there. Yeah. I wonder like during there, because I know, like you said, there is an escape room place. I yeah. wonder if. Because I know when you do construction, can like bring up energy or whatever. But I wonder if in that process, it kind of amplified it or maybe it went away. Right. I don't really know how it works. Well, because like I wonder if when they did renovations, because, okay, yeah, like what you're saying, when they do renovations, usually it wakes up whatever's there. Yeah. But I also wonder if like when you're doing renovations, because you're usually replacing things, like you're replacing the carpet the walls, even yeah. the light fixtures, the doors, other than the one with the bullet hole, you're removing all that stuff. So I wonder if there is any like energy attachments, if like you're literally removing it when you get rid of that stuff, you know? Yeah. Like what, what is it? I, I guess it depends on what it's like attached to. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like the walls, like I'm just going to attach myself. To this like wall. this is my wall. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm literally a wallflower, okay? Yeah. <laughs> or a fly on the wall. Yeah. Depending to- on what you're talking about. Because yeah. <laughs> I can fly now. <laughs> I really wonder if it's like a specific room, a specific like piece of furniture. Object. Or yeah. object or something like depending on the kitchen area if that's renovated what if it's attached to that I don't know like I'm just like yeah. maybe it just depends on that because we you know or like or like if the woman in white is looking out the windows like if you replace the windows is she gonna still look out that has to follow that window and look out it forever <laughs> right she looks out and she's like that's not the view I'm used to <laughs> Why is it all cracked and why is it facing the sky? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not, that's probably not how it works. No, <laughs> it's like, I'm, we're like doing like Monsters Inc. like closet doors kind of a yeah. thing. <laughs> or she's like trapped in the glass. <laughs> yeah. What if though? Like what, like what if that, that would explain the whole mirror phenomenon when there's people in mirrors? Like what oh. if they are attached to mirrors because they looked at themselves for so damn long? Don't look at yourself you're, too long. You're gonna, you're gonna be trapped in a mirror for all eternity. Like, listen, what kind of ghost do you want to be? <laughs> Spend your time with those objects. I want to be Fez running down a hill, man. <laughs> well, then go start running down some hills. <laughs> Get your I energy attached. Definitely cannot run up a hill, so it has to be down. <laughs> I'd yeah. be more like a tumbling down the hill kind of ghost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What kind of ghost do you want to be? Uh, ooh, you know, the first thing that came to mind was like the old lady in the rocking chair. Oh, spooky. <laughs> Only because I'm in a rocking chair. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that'll probably be me. Oh, I hate that though. If I saw a rocking chair. That was for sure the scariest scene from the woman in black. Do you remember that movie? Yes. Or like, and all of a sudden, like you see something. <laughs> You're like, shit, it's in the know. chair. I don't know what kind of ghost I'd want to be. No. Hmm. I mean, you'd have to do it over and over and over again. I'd kind of want to be the one that writes like things in a foggy mirror after they take a shower and you write messages <laughs> on it. <laughs> I just draw pictures every time they take a shower about what I've seen. <laughs> like, yeah. You start drawing like penises. <laughs> yeah. This is the size it was this week. And now this is the size it is this week. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I like that. That's a good idea. That's a fun one. That would be a more entertaining one than rocking in a rocking chair for eternity. So yeah, you're right. Yours is yours is a better answer. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'm like, what am I already doing? <laughs> That's what I want to keep doing. <laughs> but I'm I'm also already doing that. Writing on the, the mirrors. Yeah, we already know. We already know what we're gonna do. Yeah. Because we're already doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or I'm gonna be a ghost doing dishes and laundry. <laughs> Yeah. Oh well, maybe gosh. that's why you hear like noises in the kitchen sometimes because it's a ghost that got stuck doing the damn dishes all the time. That would be hell. That would be hell. No wonder I, why they're pissed. I know. I would be very upset. And how they're slamming cupboards all the time. Yeah. It's because all the other ghost kids aren't helping clean. So they're right. pissed off. Right. That's what that's about. <laughs> I like our theories. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> it makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely make sense. Alien burgers and... <laughs> 
<laughs> slamming cupboards. That was my favorite theory so far. Because yeah, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I don't understand how like, like, why the cows food chains have these burgers and there's not enough meat to go around. There's no way. No. There's no way. We're circling around a few episodes ago, but I'm sorry, but I it's stuck in my mind. I don't understand yeah. how there's enough meat to go around to all these franchise freaking fast food places. Unless they're like expanding the meat. Unless they're putting stuff in it to like yeah. make it like more. fluff it up. Yeah. Ew. All right. Uh well, thanks everybody for listening to episode 23. Uh thank you everybody for wishing me happy birthday a couple weeks ago. If you haven't yet, do it now. <laughs> it, it's not too late. Um I went to Vegas for my birthday. Can I tell you this is so off topic and you're going to want to cut it out and I'm going to hurry fast. Guess what happened today? Cooper freaking couldn't breathe for a second. And I had, I don't know. He just stopped breathing and kind of like looked like he was going dizzy and like almost fell over. And I had to like rub his back. And then he like was fine all of a sudden. It was the weirdest thing in the world. I don't know if it was a seizure. I don't know if he like got something stuck in his trachea, like as he was swallowing and like couldn't get it out. I have no idea. Was he like choke? Like did it? Was he acting like he was choking and kind I of couldn't, I couldn't tell his like his mouth is like open, but like huh. nothing was coming out. Like he couldn't breathe, but he he wasn't like trying to get anything out. Was he walking? Yeah, he was walking, but he was like tumbling a little bit, and he all it yeah. almost looked like he was gonna pass out. He's fine That's now though. Weird. Maybe he ate something. Sorry, what were we talking about? Uh, well, episode twenty-three, and thanks for wishing me happy birthday, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, if you guys have any true crime or paranormal stories you want to share, just send us a message on our website, or you can send us an email at hotandcold at gmail dot com. Yes, no pressure. Um, Mm. even if you just want to send it to us and you don't want us to put it on an episode. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, that would be weird, like you just but... want us to know, but yeah, but yeah, just tell us how you want our your story shared, and we'll do it. Right? Um, yeah, we are always looking for positive feedback, <laughs> <laughs> constructive positive feedback. <laughs> Doesn't have to be constructive. I mean, I mean, it could be just a good old good job, <laughs> and. You're my favorite podcast. (laughs) Just kidding. Right. Uh, We just don't get any feedback. So that's all we want. Oh, you know, that's not true. I really should shout out some people because I have had a couple people reach out and be like, hey, I listen. Um, Yeah. So shout out to Bree, my old coworker. Shout out to my other old coworker, Johnny. Shout out to my other old coworker and friend Callie. Shout out to <laughs> sorry. There's there's also there's like people that have texted me, which I'm also embarrassed. Uh, I got a new phone, and so people have texted me and been like, "Hey, I listen and good job." And I'm like, "Oh, awesome!" And I don't know who you are, so uh, <laughs> shout out to those people. <laughs> you have much and, better yeah. friends than I do because like no one texts me. <laughs> about the podcast except for kindle so shout out to kindle because she does say because she says yes she likes our our banter and our conversation oh. so that's that's nice <laughs> that's nice <laughs> and then that's good josh's friend adam and josh's friend riley oh yeah yeah but josh doesn't listen but his friends do because he's the worst 
Right. Yeah. Mitch, Mitch tried to listen. And then when he realized that he wasn't interested, he stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Josh knew he wasn't interested from the start. Uh, How could this not be interesting? I think we're fascinating. (laughs) I think it's all fascinating. Yeah. Well, but then Josh doesn't get to listen to the shit I say about him. So, right. Right. (laughs) So this is just our, uh, what is it called? Our venting platform. Yes. Josh sucks. (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding. Bitch, do the dishes. Josh, just let me decorate (laughs) and don't give me any (laughs) input. (laughs) Mitch, let me buy an apple turnover every day, please. Josh, bring me a coffee every morning. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Shout out to Ochre Brews, local coffee shop. I'm telling you, man. There is this drink. It's called the Hot S'more Mocha Latte. Ooh, s'mores. It is so good. I'm telling you, it is so good. They're great. They also have like a boutique, like an online boutique, but I haven't looked at it. So, what do they sell? Mugs? Yeah, like home decor and mugs. And like, I think, I don't know, but they sell so many different things that it seems like they have like, like local businesses that they sell okay. their things. It's, it's like having. a boutique kind of thing. Like it just has yeah. a, a medley of a lot of stuff. Things. Yeah. I like it. Like the, kind of like the stuff that you do too, like where it's engraved. Yeah. Before. That's cool. So nice. It is cool. It makes me want to open up a coffee shop just so I can have cute stuff all around me all the I time. I feel like you would like to do that. I would. Like I could see you doing that. What if you did like a food truck, but coffee? Ooh. Coffee and like, like bagels. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Well, nice. <laughs> check us out on social media if we haven't already said that. And check us out on, you know, places and things. Places. Yeah. <laughs> Tell your friends to listen yeah. to us if Tell your friends. you want. Okay. okay bye. bye.